Welcome everyone to the Mail Fuzz TV News Podcast. I am Peter and joining me as always is Connor. Yes, I am still here. Although not here here for that much longer. Yes, uh, it's a good, good thing to bring up is that there will not be a news episode next week because Connor is moving house and will not have internet for at least a week. Possibly almost two weeks. So, uh, you know, you've been warned, you know that's coming. My cats are running around behind me, making my life it difficult to focus. They look like they just fell off the back there. No, no, they're chasing each other. There's all chaos going on. But this is a TV podcast. We talk about pilots, renewals, cancellations. We talk about uh, series orders and things like that. Uh, just, you know, interesting things in the world of, of mainstream and genre, prestige TV, all that sort of stuff. So we're going to get into it. Um, Connor will often uh, take drinks of alcohol for certain things that pop up in some of the show descriptions. They're still here. I haven't moved those yet. Uh, priorities, of course, yes. Yeah. I have to make sure you can still get blind drunk in an episode of the news. Uh, so uh, we, got, we got a reasonable amount. Obviously, we didn't have an episode last week. So I have two weeks of news. But, you know, had we done these individually, there wouldn't have been huge weeks. As a combined set... Reasonable or not? Reasonable, okay. So, we'll get into things. Uh, we'll start with the renewals and cancellations, as we always do. Uh, kicking off with uh, a season two renewal for The Rig. This is an Amazon show, which I have not heard of, but it's getting a season two. Yeah, I'm not familiar with it either. I'm assuming an oil rig of some sort is the setting. But... Yes, yes. It's apparently an oil rig off the coast of Scotland that has some, like, supernatural fog or something, and people are trapped there, and... Uh, from, from what I yeah, can see. I, I saw nothing of this. Yeah, I, I saw nothing of it either. But uh, that's that. Uh, and then CBS have renewed NCIS for season 21. It still goes. They've also renewed NCIS Hawaii for season 3. And they've also renewed CSI Vegas for season 3. That's really concerning to me. Yes. NCIS is older than some of the people I work with. <laughs> like, I, I get like, we joke about that with like, stuff like The Simpsons, right? But NCIS is at that point now where it's getting towards that. That's, that's kind of terrifying. Well, I mean, The Simpsons is like literally my age because it started. Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah. That's, it's been going so long that, that I didn't, you know, it doesn't feel that way to us because it's always been there. But NCIS is something that. Kind of, it, it didn't. I didn't think it was going to get to this. There it is. I think Law and Order, and uh, maybe one other thing. I've got more seasons out of live action shows. Obviously, Simpsons takes the animated prize because yeah, <laughs> been renewed. I it, like, obviously, NCIS itself is a spin off from Jag as well. So no one remembers that though. <laughs> no, no one does. But how many seasons was Jag? If you throw that in on top, I don't know, like eight or nine or something. I don't know. Mm. But, uh, so those are renewed. Uh, we also have Outer Banks has been renewed for season four at Netflix. Uh, notably, this was right before season three went out, because it went out last week. And okay. then it in advance. Uh, so, I've never heard of that. Like, so I don't know how so many shows pop up in these parts of the show where I've never heard of them, given that we talk about TV news every week, and we talk about all the shows being greenlit and things like that, and then somehow there's still shows that get multiple seasons where we go, what the hell is this? On, on Netflix of all places. Yeah, weird. So I, I saw a great headline the other day, and it was it was like, these shows, kind of like, it was like really popular shows that, you know, that people like, like cancelled, cancelled, yet somehow 
Emily in Paris survives. <laughs> I was just like, yeah, yeah. yeah. Somehow, I, 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 I Palpatine returned. Yeah, uh, that he did. Somehow. Yes. So, uh, we have one more renewal, and that is Poker Face, which has been renewed for season two uh, at Peacock. This is the Ryan Johnson produced show. Oh, Connor's mics went mute again. Uh, for those of you who remember the last episode, Connor was having some audio issues towards the end. Now? Oh, there you go. That's you. Okay. I figured out, if that works, I figured out a quick fix. A quick fix. So that's, that's an improvement. Yeah. Um, the permanent improvement's a new audio cable, which he assures me is going to be happening. I, I'm not, I have got, look, I've been banned from ordering anything until after we've moved because I, we don't <laughs> need any more stuff to move from this place to the new one. Even if it's just a cable, it's more about the fact that we've got to be in to get the box for it to come and then add it to everything else that's moving. I'm just, it's a blanket ban. Okay. Uh, cancellations, Succession is ending with season four on HBO, which is the one that's coming up. Um, this seems like it was a creative choice rather than HBO cancelling them. Uh, the article yeah. seemed, seemed to imply that the creator was even like debating whether well not to tell the audience beforehand, but he already knew from the writing stage that this was going to be the last one. I've seen people you know who watch it say, "Yeah, this kind of makes sense with where the you know the arcs of the characters have been going." Okay, so I, I don't. This is, and he's obviously upsetting because people are huge fans of the show. It's very popular right now, but I don't think it's upsetting in the same way as like you know the the, the ten people who still cared about Westworld. Yeah, knowing when to get out is a uh, is is there's a skill to that. Uh, also ending uh, with its current tenth season is the Goldbergs on ABC. Uh, this is not super surprising because uh, the actor who played the grandfather passed away like a year or two ago, so mm. you know that happened. And then Jeff Garland, who was like the dad in the show, had to leave for for some scandal reasons in the last year. So it's kind of like. You know, it was already at like season eight anyway, season nine or whatever around this time, and then the fact that it's already up in these numbers, and then you have all these ca- these like prominent cast members not being there for you know sad reasons one or another it means like yeah, it probably is time. But ten seasons is a good run. No one's going to uh, nothing to complain about with that. Yeah, no one's going to balk at that and be upset about it. I don't think. Uh, maybe, maybe it's a bit of a shame that it kind of like did this fizzle out thing in the last couple of seasons with like, losing people rather than just having a clear cut ending that you could be satisfied with. But with a lot of sitcoms, doesn't it? When it gets to that long, it does. It does. They don't all get their 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 proper ending. Uh, it's nice when they do, of course, but they don't always yep. do it. Uh, and then Disney Plus have cancelled two shows: uh, Big Shot and uh, Mighty Ducks Game Changers. Both get cancelled after the second seasons. So, uh, farewell. Mm. So, yeah, um, I didn't see many people talking about, like, especially the my ducks. I know, I know, I know you enjoyed the first season. Did you watch the second one? I enjoyed season one. I didn't watch season two yet. Uh, you know, it's not exactly appointment TV viewing. Plus, you know, like Estevez had to leave because he was being a prick about vaccines. Uh, so it was like a weird change. I haven't really seen anyone talking about the second season. I'll be honest, I didn't even know it. Came no, out. it came and went with little fanfare, and then big shot. Like I, you know, it's uh, what's his face that's in it? Um, what's his name? I can't. I'm not gonna remember his name. But he's, he's he was a star in the eighties and stuff and uh, whatever. Sure. But he, he, like that, that seems to have came and went with little fanfare as well. Which is one of the big problems with these streaming shows. I, I feel these days is it's, there's so many of them that. 
a lot of them do come and go with little unless they put the effort in to really make them feel like a big deal they can just kind of like disappear into the night as if uh, nothing ever happened and so. it's, it's almost as if judging by some comments that we we may be talking about later depending on whether you include it um maybe some executives are starting to realize that um i didn't include anything in this but i agree with the sentiment <laughs> uh, you, you didn't get those faggy comments then Oh no, I, I didn't. I, I did see them, but I never. They didn't pop up in the TV news when I was looking. But I, I know what you're talking about. He was talking about how maybe winding down the Marvel shows because too many of them too quick with little fanfares, uh, more harmful than it is. Yeah, good. I think you talked about the, the Star Wars shows as well. Like collectively, kind of just Disney Plus shows like that in general. Of hey, kind of at one point they were obviously aiming for year round, just constant stream. But maybe they're realizing now that as nice as goal as that sounds and. It seems obvious just to have it as a routine. Uh, maybe it's just a bit too much. It's, uh, I think with Marvel especially, there's a specific problem with it where more and more people are feeling like, oh, we have to keep up with all these shows to be informed for, you know, whatever movie's coming up. You know, I've seen that complaint pop up with, uh, not like, all, you know, I necessarily have to see all the shows, but, you know, certainly I saw people say, oh, I didn't see WandaVision, so part of Doctor Strange 2 was kind of confusing. Oh, I didn't see X show, so this movie's a little bit confusing because something fed into this specifically. Yeah. I, I do wonder if that like idea of like the mounting amount of, of content that I, you conceivably have to keep up with is also a factor that they're realizing, oh shit, we need to kind of rework how people feel I about these a little bit. That's a very strong thing you're going to see people complaining about in about two weeks' time when uh, Mandalorian Season 3 starts. Actually, I think it starts next week, but you, you'll, you'll see it for a bit where huge parts of the development for that plot and character arcs were resolved in Book of Boba Fett. Mm. Out of nowhere, like the, the ending of season two was this big you know, emotional beat of, like, okay, this is where this, these characters are right now. And that gets undone in a different show. And the status quo yeah. is a borderline reset, I think, going into season three, from what I can tell. And I suspect there will be people who did not watch Book of Boba Fett because they, they like Mandalorian. They, they didn't care about that other one, which, you know, you it's, should be allowed to do as a standalone TV show. You should be. I think it's a little less likely just because it's Star Wars. And I don't know if I feel like people who care about Star Wars probably are just watching. I don't know. I know people have only watched Mandalorian. Really? OK. Yeah. And then um, I've had to go tell them that. You kind of need to watch Book of Boba Fett. You it's, can expect it's kind people of required viewing. You can expect people to watch everything in your connected stuff, right? Well, there's a certain amount of it, but then when it keeps expanding, naturally, some stuff is going to become the must-watch, and some stuff's going to become the only if you're interested. Then it's going to keep going more and more like it that. It is, and and as well in this, in I guess in this one's defense, at least these are in the same medium. They're both TV shows on the same platform. If you have access to one, it is there. As opposed to, okay, you need to watch this, then go out to the cinema and watch this movie before the next show starts up. Yeah. Uh, which is maybe something they'll avoid doing when they announce their, their new Star Wars movies, which they're hinting that they're going to actually make some announcements for some movies in the near future. So oh, Probably at Celebration in April. Yeah, that, that would make a lot of sense. I suspect that they're going to be a clear line between those and the shows. Yeah, they're technically in the same world, but I feel like they're not going to... I think it's really easy because a lot of the shows that we have so far are all kind of set in the same general time period. Mm. So it's really easy for them to be interconnected while also you can make movies at a different time period and have absolutely no reason for them to feed into each other whatsoever. 
yeah, it's, I don't know, it's, it, there is definitely like a, a, this learning curve or growing pains period we've got with uh, just, you know, pumping out lots of content. And I think that's part of the, the reason why it can be infuriating is that you kind of feel like you're being forced into something else that you don't really care about because it has, you know, in, in the case of Boba Fett, it has like a payoff or a, a big development from something that, in theory, you could, you know, it's, that, it's the same problem with how comic books where, like, they would include, like, the, the single issue of another series in the trade with the rest of the issues of, like, so, so it says here, Rune Daredevil, but there's a really important issue of Spider-Man where the Daredevil plot beat, like, happens. So when they collect all the issues, you have to put that issue of Spider-Man in. With streaming, like, maybe we could get to a point where at least fans will make, like, a like a viewing order where, like, okay, watch these shows, but watch this one episode <laughs> of this other thing in between these two seasons. But that's really complicated, and it makes things harder to do and follow, and just, you know, just, you know... Maybe, you, you yeah, I, I wonder if it's possible for them to put in built-in guides, so, like, when you get to the mm. end of season two of Mandalorian, it'll be, there can be a pop-up being like, before you watch season three, you should check this out. Yeah, with but, a heavy nudge, nudge, wink, wink. Like, make sure you watch this. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I was, I think there are definitely a lot of casual people who watch Mandalorian because it was the first big show, right? That's that's the one that mm. dropped on on day one. It's that one that that kind of people checked out because it was the hot, fresh thing that definitely didn't watch Boba Fett. And I think they're going to find out next week that they have missed something major, and they're not going to be happy about it. And we're going to hear about it on Twitter or wherever people are moaning these days. And they're honestly right to be pissed off, to be honest. No, they, they absolutely are. Uh, they should be. And I said as someone who watched it anyway, but they deserve to. Because there's one, it's one thing to have like a reference to your other show and have a neat little Easter egg or something that, you know, adds a little extra layer to something that pops up in a different place because that can feel kind of exciting and cool. Like, oh, I got an extra little like, viewpoint because I watched over here. Having Having the character of the Mandalorian show up in the Boba Fett show was not an issue. No. But he, he could have showed up and been involved in the Boba Fett plot, no problem. It was the fact that it, it resolves his plot line in a different show that's the concern. Yeah. 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 Um, I think... I've never had a problem with two shows running concurrently and having crossovers. Like, I think that's fine. But I think... Typically, when it happens, it's very clear that it's we're getting into like a pair of episodes that are tied to each other. So you kind of, you know, if I'm thinking Buffy or Angel, or if we're even thinking like Star Trek, when Star Trek had like two shows running at the same time as each other, you know, they, they would kind of market it as a thing where on the same week, like the two episodes are going to both like right. be one story. But you'd know that because even even if you didn't follow along, you'd watch the first episode because that's the one you watched. Yeah, and then the network would, you know, at the end of the show, be like, and make sure you tune in for the episode that picks up on these plot threads next week, you know, well, in two days' yeah. time. Yeah. I guess they just have to hope that everyone, when it happened in Boba Fett, that everyone went, hey, everyone, like, the Mandalorian stuff happened. Like, you need to watch this now. Yeah. What? But it sucks that it's our responsibility to tell people that now, and that they're not. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's... it's uh... Do you know what the sad thing is? Is that this sort of stuff was cool when it was rare. I think now that everyone's trying to do it because they want everything to feel like everything's essential so that you have to watch a hundred things to feel like you're like up to date with everything, it feels more manipulative and it feels more like a like a ploy by executives to keep us all on the hook. 
They want to keep you in their ecosystem, yeah. so they Whereas, get all your viewing time. Back in the day when there was a couple of Star Trek shows or Buffy and Angel were doing the odd crossover, it was exciting and cool because no one else was doing it. And it was, like, special. It was like, oh, this is actually really neat that this is happening. It's the same stuff with multiverse things where, like the last couple of years have ruined anything exciting about the idea of a multiverse because now it's just an excuse to have old versions of characters pop up in your new movie. That's fine because you got like four years of a multiverse saga still to go. <laughs> and I'm not even throwing shade specifically the fact that Marvel are doing their multiverse saga. No, we got, we got, we got Flashpoint doing bollocks. I, I, so. I just mean between No Way Home and, uh, and Flash coming up, like, I'm just like, I see the... Wait, this is just like a... Like a like a, a, a free card to just be like oh we could just put in like these nostalgia hits just mm-hmm. to excite people, um and I think similarly the idea of having all these like shared connected things uh it feels like the same thing to me where it's I I can just see the the Excel spreadsheet behind of like evil just like oh and they're yeah. going to have to watch this thing then it means I have to watch this thing and because of that and and and. And the more time, the more things we have to make them watch, so they feel like they have to watch. The less time they've got to watch our competitors' thing. Yeah, of course, it's a it's a it's a dangerous game to play though, because I think what a lot of them are learning is is that enough people eventually just go, no, <laughs> I'm done because this, this is too much. This is like a second job. I'm not doing it anymore. Yep. Uh, I mean, obviously, yeah, there's the ideal scenario where all of it is like ten out of ten, but no one's ever achieved that, and no one will ever lately ever achieve it because it's impossible to keep that consistency up across the board. So yeah, and obviously it's not quite at the same levels yet, but it's starting to get towards soap territory. Where like, mm. hey, you know, obviously, obviously soaps are not particularly well written, well acted, well directed. They're not. I, I'm not going to shit on all of <laughs> them. I don't, I'm not going to say they're all terrible, but by their nature, they're churning out five, six episodes a week. They can't be ten out of ten. Right? You might get you might I get just, the one episode. It's what you said that you know soaps are particularly well directed, acted, or written. By the way, shit in all soaps. No, no, no. I don't want to. I don't want to say they're all terrible like all the time. No, I'm no. Saying I mean, we, we've said this before. In, they have a schedule. They have five, six episodes a week. They have one take on pretty much everything. And you get it, and that's that's yeah. what you've got. Like Last of Us right now is fantastic. It's doing really well. It took a year and a half or two years to make that season, and that's how yeah, long it took. What eight, eight, nine hours of content, give or take. Yeah, Maybe yeah. 10. Um, whereas, yeah, obviously, if you're pumping out five, you know, one-hour episodes a week, like even even the half-hour ones that they pump out, sometimes yeah, like five half-hour ones. That's still two and a half hours a week. Yeah, yeah. Like maybe three, because you have some soaps that do like six days a week. That's a lot. And there's no way that anyone can maintain a, you know, a truly great schedule, uh, like level of consistency and quality on that. It's just not possible. Definitely not the amount they get paid. Yeah. So, I don't know, where did that all come from? I came from Feige maybe admitting that they have to slow down on shows and stuff. In fact, on that subject, just uh, they delayed the Marvels to November. It was meant to come out in July. And it seems to just be a case of like they wanted to space them out better because they had... Like that coming a couple of months after, uh, what was it in May? Guardians Three, I think, out in May. So they had Marvels coming in July, and then the very the next Marvel thing wouldn't have been out until ne- next spring. So by putting that in November, it just spaces them out a bit more. Didn't they evenly. do that for a couple of years in a row before, where they had like this huge gap? They had like three in the first half of the year, and then like none. They've done it, they've done it a couple of times before, yeah. They, they're finally figuring out that hey, we can just space these out more evenly. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. I mean, honestly, yeah. Like knowing how to space things out, and you know, 
quality over quantity is obviously a, a thing that uh like i think i think the older you get and the more you watch like mediocre things the more you really appreciate like no quality <laughs> give me quality yeah. and, and i say this as someone who who has and reads every star wars book that they put out i was going to point behind me but they're not on the shelf anymore they're, they're in a box at the new flat but you, you've, you've all seen them there before they're all there that's like every star wars book they've published since 2015 when they when disney bought out there's there's you know a couple of shelves worth of them at this point they're not all of it like i honestly i think the, the quality is higher than i would expect given you know, you know the amount they're putting out uh but there's definitely some of them that i think are not very good uh, and i, I kind of get i'm a completionist I, I like getting them all but that's usually at most one book every few months as opposed to all right, I've got to watch an episode of TV every week for the next, you know, year just to be up to date on everything, which is what what the Marvel ones are getting towards at this point. At least the Star Wars are not quite there yet. No. Yeah. And there, there are the hardcores that love that there's that much content and love that they've got something every week, but uh, it becomes exhausting for I mean, anyone who's not, <laughs> basically. How many years have they been trying to get Star Trek year-round at this point? And it's just not, it's, even that's not there yet. Now, I think Star Trek works to an extent better in theory. Not in practice necessarily yet, but it's just because if the shows are different enough and they're not really crossing over, that can kind of work. But also I think it helps that the movies are kind of dead because it's just it's just shows. Yeah. You know? It's it's why I do think, and I, this is not my bias coming in, but I do think Star Wars has more of a chance of pulling off the Marvel. Because even though Marvel is objectively more popular and successful monetary-wise, they're all this, you know, ongoing storyline. Whereas Star Wars does have this ability to jump around its timeline a lot more. That's kind of built into the franchise. So it can do vastly different times and just show off different things entirely that don't have to be connected. Whereas, they say Marvel, it does kind of feel like, okay, this is appointment viewing and I have to watch this before I watch the next thing. Whereas Star Wars, in theory, you can be watching this. I know they've got they've got a High Republic show coming up at some point. Uh, the Acolyte. I know it's in production at the minute, so that will be coming out at some point. That's that's set hundreds of years before any of these shows, so they'll be able to jump back. You, you know, you can you can watch the Acolyte presumably without having seen any of Mandalorian, Boba Fett, any of this saga and stuff, and it'll be fine. You won't feel like you're missing out on anything. As opposed to what's the next Marvel show coming up? I have no. I genuinely have no idea. Do you know? Um. <laughs> Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Loki season two is probably due at some point. Yeah, Loki, maybe. Secret Wars, is that this year? Secret Wars, yeah. That probably is this year. Yeah. But like, that that will feel like, okay, you need to watch that before you start watching the next thing because there might be something that references back to it. Yeah. So I, I think it feels like it's slightly more of an obligation perhaps with the marvel shows to watch them in the order that they come out in on time before you watch something else that might interest you more as opposed to the star wars ones or like the star trek shows where they can be a bit more varied a bit more across the timeline and they don't necessarily have as much interconnectivity as as much as obviously i complain about mandalorian and boba fett those two are intrinsically tied unfortunately but in theory they have more room to play in yeah. All right, well, let's move on, because that was just kind of a, a random... Well, it was a bit of a tangent, yeah. ...extra topic that you, you threw in. Um, it was it was TV. <laughs> we, got, we got a premiere date. 
uh, a couple, a few premiere dates. We got a premiere date for Ted Lasso season three, which is coming on March fifteenth. So cannot wait. So that, that should be good. Uh, we got a premiere date for Love and Death, uh, which is a HBO Max show, which is coming on April twenty seventh with three episodes, and then the rest of it, which is another four, seven episodes total, uh, will be weekly. So three first week, and then weekly for the rest of it. So that's a limited series. That's actually got a trailer, which I, I was going to make you watch, and I forgot. So I'll just tell you about it. <laughs> so because I don't remember what this is. So this is Elizabeth Olsen, uh, and it's I think it's the fifties that she's in. But uh, it's Elizabeth Olsen, and she's like this bored housewife who is at church, and she looks across the church, and who does she see that catches her eye? She sees none other than that hunk Jesse Plemons, Fat Damon himself. <laughs> All right. And she basically very kind of casually like asks, hey, I'm attracted to you. Do you want to be in an affair? And then the trailer does a lot of a quick cut, and it looks like eventually there's going to be murders and stuff, but it looks like a kind of kind of quirky, got, got a little bit of humor, but leads to you know crimes and murder and, and stuff. Maybe she's the one that's dangerous, given the, the just the look in her face, but so, then yeah, the trailer. They, they saw the first few episodes of Scarlet Witch. I went, oh, Elizabeth Olsen in a period piece. <laughs> Let's get something on that. Uh, Yeah, it, it, it looks... It looks all right. It looks all right. It, it definitely feels like I, I could see it being like a, if it, if it wasn't for the fact that it was in a sunny place, I could see it being a season of Fargo, and not just because Jesse Plemons is there, right? If this if this was set in a snowier landscape, I'd be like, yeah, this is a Fargo season. By the looks of it. So tonally, that's kind of what you're telling me. Yeah, it's got that sort of sense of humor. See, just from the trailer, basically, I'm saying. So anyway, that's coming. Something potentially enjoyable. Yeah, April twenty seventh. That's coming, uh, and then we also got a premiere date for Queen Charlotte, a Bridgerton story, which is coming on May 4th. Those Bridgerton spin-offs. <laughs> I love that it's a Bridgerton story, just like a Star Wars story, and it's coming out on May the 4th. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even clock that. <laughs> that is funny. Oh, yeah. The Bridgerton verse prequel. That's right, they've used Bridgerton verse with a hyphen in their oh, text here. I hate, I hate the Bridgerton verse prequel is centered on Queen Charlotte's rise to prominence and power. The series will tell the story of how the young queen's marriage to King George sparked both a great love story and a societal shift, creating the world of Ton. Of the Ton. Of the... The capital T, so it's a name. Of the Ton inherited by the characters in Bridgerton. Okay. I don't know what the, I don't know what word, the word Ton means in that context, but okay. Or Ton. But it's, it's a capital T, which is why it's thrown me. It's, it's, it's a proper noun. Anyway. Uh... Obviously, we don't give a shit about that, but if it seems funny enough to put in. I, I didn't even realise they were making Bridget and spin off. I'm sure I, we've probably spoke about it. No, nah, I remember them saying they were going to do a prequel. I didn't realise it was close enough that it was coming out, like, soon. Now. But, yeah. Uh, but hey. All right, on to some general stuff. Now, this is uh, a bit of casting for something that uh, I wanted to remind everyone about. Uh, so, this is uh, some casting for Metropolis coming from Apple TV. Do you remember it's why. The- uh, Sam Esmail one. Yes, Sam Esmail. That's why we're very interested in it. Yes. Uh, aside from the movie, Metropolis being very good, which well, technically they're both based in the same book, rather than this is based on the movie. But I'm going to go out of my limb and say that uh, some inspiration. Esmail's probably a fan of the of the movie. <laughs> it seems like his sort of thing. Yeah. So honestly, having just watched that for uh, the Atomic Serum Experiment over Mail Fuzz Movies, our sci-fi movie podcast, um, we did Metropolis at the start of the year. Funnily enough, the same week that I went public domain. Uh, just as a coincidence, but um, what was baffling to me watching it again and being reminded of it is just how much 
of influence it has on season three of Twin Peaks. There's there's some stuff in there. Really? There was uh yeah, yeah. I don't want to spoil it, but there was a couple of things when the probably was like, Oh yeah, well, David Lynch was taken from the same well a little bit here. Oh, okay, okay. Again, that that's not surprising to Oh me. no, not surprising at all. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure Lynch is a huge fan of Metropolis. No, yeah, no, well, no it definitely seems like his sort of shit. In, yeah. in the same way that I say, say that about Esmail. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, this, this is not complaining or critiquing anyone here. This is just... just I was just excited to discover the, the connection. Yeah. Um, but uh, anyway, uh, so we got a couple of, a couple of actors cast in this. Uh, Lindy Booth from The Librarians uh, is going to star in it as Maria. And Maria is the, uh, the female lead that was in the movie as well. Um, mm-hmm. The love interest character who's kind of like a... Kind of like this figure that uh, the, the poor people in the city look up to. Um, what was perhaps more interesting to me is that Brianna Middleton is going to play a character as well. She's been cast as one of the leads. Uh, and she's going to play Finney, who it notes was not in the movie. Um, now, I don't know if that means that it was a role in the book that... Um, Didn't make it to that adaptation. Yeah. Or... or just a new character. Well, I'm thinking it may be a gender swap of the main, the, the the male lead from the movie. It could be. Would they not have specified that though? I don't know, but the main character's name is Frieder, and then this character's name is Finney. So I'm just wondering if they've if this is a it's possible a switcheroo, uh, which you know, cool. Uh, but mostly, I just wanted to remind everyone that Sam Esmail's doing a uh, Metropolis adaptation Probably somewhere that's presumably going to give him a reasonable budget. Yeah. Also, do you know what? I'm doubting myself now if it was a book first. I'm not actually sure now I'm thinking about it. I think I'm assuming there was a book first because that was just kind of... I mean, it's still the common thing, to be honest, but... The 1925 science fiction novel was the basis. There you go. It was a novel. Well, was the basis for and was written in tandem with the 1927. Ah, okay. So I was right. It's just that it's a bit more... They're more uh, parallel to each other than... Yeah, the book was written with the intention okay. of being adapted to film. Okay, okay, okay. So, so it was original, but they did the book at the same time. Okay, oh, or kind of. Fritz Lang, who did the film, it's his wife that wrote the book. Ah, okay, okay, okay. So that's so that's where it came from. This this is a this is the ancient version of uh, of Mark Miller writing comics for Netflix. <laughs> Yes, uh, I mean that's kind of cool, actually. But well, in that case, then I'm going to assume that the movie's quite faithful <laughs> to the book. I would assume so. Yes. <laughs> so, uh, in that case, I'm going to guess that this is a, a gender swapped main character, uh, or at the very least, they've added in a completely new character that's going to be one of the leads. But yeah, I, I'm leaning towards that just based on the fact that it doesn't say it's gender swapped, and usually in these things, they do just mm. tell you, oh, it's that, it was that character originally. Yeah, okay. Uh, I'm just reading into it. The similar names. I don't know. It is, yeah. I'm just going to get in that. Um, so, yeah, that's Metropolis from Apple TV Plus uh, and Sam Esmail. Uh, next up, uh, we got a few... There was a few casting things, but there was one main casting thing and then one sort of prominent name added to it that I felt worth bringing this in. So we talked a little bit a while ago about HPI, High Intellectual Potential. This is the show that's based on a French series... Uh, well, the, the description here. HIP. Oh, HPI, high intellectual potential. I, yes, I, I realize that the order is wrong, but that's how they've written it down. But, but you can call it hip. 
<laughs> maybe that's why they intentionally uh, switched it. Oh, maybe maybe in the original French, the order makes sense. I don't know. Oh, but no, it probably does because because the French are weird and throw their sentences around stupidly. Well, there you go. So the description, you remember this when I say what it is. Uh, so the untitled H- HPI remake uh, centers on Morgan, a single mom with three kids and an ex- with an exceptional mind who helps solve an unsolvable crime when she rearranges some evidence during her shift as a cleaner at the police department. When they discover that she has a knack for putting things in order because of her high intellectual potential, she is brought on as a consultant to work on the By the Book seasoned detective and together they form an unusual, unstoppable team. Right, so you probably remember me telling you about that or I the, do, the premise. Kind of like a yeah, so the two things to, to add to this is that they've cast uh, Caitlin Olsen from It's Always Sunny in the lead role. Okay, okay, yeah. Which means, how am I going to take this seriously? Is this meant to be yeah. a comedy? Because I can't, I don't know if I can take her doing this role seriously. Uh, secondly, this was coming from Drew Goddard, who's still producing it and writing, but he's not showrunning. They've added a showrunner. The showrunner is Rob Thomas from Veronica Mars. Okay, that's still people yeah it's this kind of person who's like oh wait you know what this may actually not be bad that leans more towards that comedic angle with with Olsen's casting a lot yeah it does a little bit doesn't it this is this is midlife crisis veronica mars a little bit yeah because <laughs> again not not that you know veronica mars or iZombie are outright comedies iZombie more so but both of them have a a comedic bent to them yes to, uh, alongside their detective angle um so yeah i, I definitely think this seeing those names attached makes me think this will be funnier than maybe we expected it to be before. Yeah, yeah. I think we expected more of a, just a straight cop drama on, you know, on TV. Yeah, but now seeing the names attached, and, and maybe they're going to break break style and, and do something different to what they're known for, but with those names, I am leaning towards expecting the, the comedy angle. Which makes yeah. it more interesting, to be honest. Yeah, uh, next up, Dead Boy Detectives is moving. Uh, it was going to be a HBO Max show. Uh, but it has been sold from uh, there to Netflix. Uh, this is obviously the story. I mean, it's not going to exist for long in either place. <laughs> yeah, Neil Gaiman and Matt Wagner comics uh been adapted. Um, and maybe it makes sense as well because Sandman's already on Netflix. But the reason why this is... Uh, sort of basically why HBO Max were sort of like moving away from it is because it doesn't fit into the James Gunn and co like plans for DC. So it's been kind of shopped elsewhere because it doesn't fit into that's, that. That's a more reasonable argument for them to have had than pretty much anything else they've shafted. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, Warner Bros. Television shopped the drama after sources say the series didn't fit in with the new chapter of content that DC executives James Gunn and Peter Safran uh, are building for their comic book powerhouse. Uh, At least they didn't just cancel it and sweep it under the rug and pretend it never existed like some of their other things. Oh, that's true. That's true. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah. Uh, and the last thing in the general section before we get into the, the new comedies and dramas is uh, I, I thought I'd just mention that there's going to be a Barney reboot. <laughs> oh, yeah. And it, and, and it has people up in arms. Why are they up in arms? I don't understand. What's the outrage about? Barney's going to be woke, apparently, as if as if it wasn't always pretty much about what, friendship and, and, and kindness friendship and, and yeah yeah and, and, and being nice to people like that was literally like the like the entire point right but they're, they're worried barney's gonna be woke now i'm like yeah yeah that's 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 the problem the one thing i will give them there's the, not not those people specifically but the, the people who weren't on board with this barney yeah is uh some weird looking teeth 
Okay. He has weird looking teeth in the promo images they put out. I don't I I can get on board with that. It did, did look a bit weird. Oh whatever. Uh, yeah. I, I just I don't know. Bar- Barney exists. Uh yeah. Did you watch uh, Barney when you were younger? No, I don't I don't know if I just didn't see it or if it was just a little bit after my time. It might have been, because it was definitely for me, but I don't know when that originally was, to be honest. I remember it existing on channels when I was like flicking through, but I think I was already just a little bit too old for. It started in '92. I would have been the right age then, probably technically, if I'd seen it then. But you know, for whatever reason, it wasn't the the kids thing I latched onto. Yeah, no, I I, I remember watching it quite. Despite liking dinosaurs, but he wasn't a proper dinosaur. I mean, how is he not a proper dinosaur? I mean. He he is a dinosaur. They call him a dinosaur. He's purple. How do you know dinosaurs weren't purple? I saw Jurassic Park. Oh yeah. Okay. I'm I'm sorry. I, I forgot about your extensive documentary research. <laughs> I'm just saying. After seeing Jurassic Park, this purple stuff suit so didn't quite quite carry the weight. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that, that was your problem. <laughs> hey, you're not realistic enough. Ah, it wasn't. Barney was not realistic enough. Yeah. Um, Alright, let's go to the comedies. So, oh, a couple of comedies here, actually. Uh, CBS has handed a pilot order to Jumpstart, a multi-camera comedy based on Rob Armstrong's long-running comic strip. Uh, Wayne Conley from The Best Man has written the TV adaptation, uh, and the production companies uh, involved in this include Aaron Kaplan's Capital Entertainment. Uh, based on the popular comic strip that debuted in 1989, Jumpstart is set in Philadelphia and follows Joe, a cop, his wife Marcy, a nurse, and Joe's partner, Crunchy. Joe and Marcy are young, hip, urban parents with old school values who are willing to sacrifice for their kids and have some laughs while they're doing it. I hate it. <laughs> I, just, like, I don't necessarily mean it's bad or that the comic strip's bad or that the show will be bad. I just do not like the way that is written. Mm-hmm. It's so generic TV description. That's that's fair. That's fair. Uh, the other comedy we've got here, uh, a comedy series adaptation of Laura uh, Vaudier's popular book, The Pet Sitter's Tale, is in the works for a small screen adaptation uh, with Tara Reid set to star and produce. She still exists. Apparently. She's, she's still alive. <laughs> Are you suggesting that she has the lifestyle that might lead one to an early grave? I would never make such an accusation. Just, I'm just surprised. She's been in Uva Bull films. Oh yeah, yeah, those are real. Sadly, they are real. I've seen at least two of them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but not real, are they? They, they just the mass hallucinations that people occasionally experience. So it's called Walking in LA. That's a really boring title. That is a boring title. The Pet Setter's Tale is definitely a better title. Anyway, uh, it's a female-driven comedy. comes from Voyeur, uh, reads High Happy Films. Reed's got her own company. What? <laughs> Katie Rotolo and Alex Parker's Paper Bill Pictures, uh, as well as Instant Entertainment. Uh, Walking in LA follows the feel-good redemption story of a magical-thinking protagonist, Lucy, who, fired from her dream job and dumped by her fiancé, moves on a whim to the City of Angels in search of something better. Upon landing in LA, Lucy discovers she'll need connections to do just about anything, and that self-discovery and reinvention will take more than just hope and determination. Lucy finds Lucy, 
with a chance encounter <laughs> with a famous talk show host, uh, Angela Noble, played by Reed, sets off a comic and uplifting journey uh, from Fisher, a water dreamer, to successful pet walking entrepreneur extraordinaire. I'll be honest, up until that late part, I really thought Tara Reed was the, the young dog walker, and I'm like, she feels a bit old for this role, but you know. Well, <laughs> bit, maybe that's, that's just going to play it that way. Also, it started with a magical thinking. Yes. That was a phrase at the start of that. And I'm like, being able to think isn't magical. It's just very poorly phrased. Like, I'm not saying I like the sound of this. I have no butt. Uh, you were expecting a butt there, but there was no butt. I, I was, because you, cause you <laughs> left it off as if there was going to be a butt. <laughs> There's no butt. Okay, good, because... Yeah, no thank you. Alright, dramas. HBO Max is doing a, a, a spin-off of Stephen King's It. A, a wow. show called Welcome to Derry, coming from Warner Brothers Television. Uh, developed by fellow makers Andy Muschietti, who directed uh, uh, be shit, then. the two-part movie, uh, and Barbara Muschietti. Uh, so, yes, I... You know... I was mixed on the first one. The second one I thought was just straight-up bad. Uh, I don't think Muschietti is a good horror director. But uh, Tim and... I assume his wife, maybe his sister, I don't know. But <laughs> Barbara Mouchier, uh, they're working on this uh, set in the world of Stephen King's at Universe. Everything's a universe now. Welcome this, to this Derry. This is the milking of IP yes. going to its extreme. This is milking of the IP, absolutely. Welcome to Derry is based on Stephen King's It novel and expands on the story established by filmmaker Andy Mouchier and his feature films, It, Chapter 1 and 2. Uh, Jason Fuchs will write the teleplay for the first episode based on a story by Muschietti and Barbara Muschietti uh, and Fuchs. And, uh... What? He had five hours of goddamn movie to tell the story. Why does he need to expand on it? Yeah, th- this is just, yeah, this is IP milking. There's like... Uh, yeah. I mean, maybe there's a good idea, but, like, I really don't see it. And not only is it IP milking, it feels like Muschietti's clinging to this IP because it's like, oh, I can keep making money from this specifically. Yeah. That's what it feels I, like. I don't know. I know, I know, you know, we're being cynical here. Maybe if it was creatives that we liked, it would be different. We'd be like, oh, well, maybe there's a chance. But we, we've already seen what he does in the It universe. We know what to expect. This yeah. is not unfairly judging. There's, you know, evidence. And it's not great. If you give me a premise, because you know, there's nothing in there, because there's no premise to what the story actually oh, is. It's it just going to be stories of Pennywise, isn't it? Terrorizing yeah. different kids over the years. It's just going to be other, or maybe other generic spooky things. If if it actually gave me a solid premise that I could understand, like, okay, I can see how that becomes a cool idea. But there's nothing there. It's just we just want more it. So here's we're going to do more it. That, Pretty much. That's it. Yeah. No pun intended. <laughs> Didn't even notice. All right. Uh, so here's an interesting little tidbit. So 1899 got cancelled. Uh, it did. And you would maybe. And you would maybe think that Baron Bodar and Yante Fries, who created the show and, and wrote it and directed a bunch of it, uh, maybe their relationship with Netflix might sour a little bit because of that, but they've actually re-upped a deal with Netflix, uh, and they've got a project. They have been handed something that Netflix had just gotten the rights to, and that is a comic book called Something is Killing the Children. Oh, Simon, the... Yes. So, yes. yeah, so this is from Boom Studios. This is a, a James Tynan, uh, the fourth 
comic book, a writer who we are both fans of. Uh, I've not read this particular comic, but I've seen it get a lot of praise. And I have, I love it. It is, um, a couple of them going to have to do this, but it is a, uh, an updated, essentially an updated hit television show. <laughs> well, I've got, a, I've got a synopsis here. Uh, when the children of Archer's Peak begins to go missing, everything seems hopeless. Most children never return, but the ones that do have terrible stories, impossible stories of terrifying creatures that live in the shadows. Their only hope of finding and eliminating this threat is the arrival of a mysterious stranger, one who believes the children and claims to see what they can see. Her name is Erica Slaughter, and she kills monsters. Uh, until it said Erica Slaughter, I was getting like the stranger from Dark. I was like picturing him walking in with the, the raincoat. <laughs> That's what I was okay, seeing. Yeah, I can see it. Yeah. Anyway, uh, I think... I have some hopes for this being a success, and I'll tell you this right now. I do not think for a second that this isn't in English. I, I, I feel like... I, I think Netflix probably looked at 1899 and said, you know what, you had a big hit with Dark, and we were happy that we had a German hit that was foreign language, and then we tried to give you this big budget for 1899 and didn't do as well as we wanted. I think they've said to them, we want you because you're great creatives, but your next thing's in English, so the worldwide audience can all latch on to it. That's why I feel like 100% this, this is, is English. And I know um, Tyner, I've not, I've not read his email, uh, his newsletter for the last couple of weeks because I've been just so busy. But he's been talking for months about how he's been having meetings with various, about various TV shows and movie projects. Mm. And he's seemingly, from what we can tell on that, relatively involved in all of them. Um, so yeah, this is definitely going to be an English issue because he's pretty involved. Yeah. But it is interesting. And I, I do feel that their shift to doing just like an English adaptation of something is Probably, like, because it's a slightly safer bet than the multilingual show that 1899 was. But we know for a fact that damn talented storytellers. So, yeah. you know, we, we've seen that in Dark. By all accounts, 1989 was maybe not quite as good, but, you know, it was a solid framework that if it had built on, maybe would have been, you know, up there. Uh, I'm very excited to see them tackle this with their, the tone that, that, you know, that I can see them bringing to it. Yes. Erica, the vampire slaughter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it is. It is very clearly um, someone around our age. You know, who's who's that was clearly a, a part of his formative media, and he's like, <laughs> and he, he's looked at it and gone, "I can do better, or at least better for today." Right. He's a fan of the uh, hit television show. I agree. Yes, but it's not necessarily aged perfectly in all regards let's be fair um and i think you know and he looked at that and was like i want to try and and make a new a new version for today for, for people i'll admit ba it, bad eggs is a rough episode but other than that it's aged perfectly mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah it, it's a it's an amazing comic it's one of the best things i've read in the last few years stuff it's one of my favorites uh, yeah you know i have been mean to get to it I'll, maybe this is a good reason to give it a give it a start soon um, it even it even has uh, some spin-offs ready. Oh, yeah, very fancy. Uh, big project next for for HBO. So uh, Spielberg's been chipping away at this for like ten years, apparently. But uh, so a large scale biopic of Napoleon was something that once upon a time Stanley Kubrick wanted to do. In fact, he wanted to do it after two thousand one. Did a bunch of research and. So this, this was like another project, much like AI was something that Kubrick was about to do and then passed away, so Spielberg came in and did it instead. 
this was a big like project that Kubrick wanted to do for a long time and never happened. Uh, it mentions here that at one point, um, like Nicholson was attached to it. Uh, Audrey Hepburn was going to be in it. Um, it's, it's going to, you know, just you know, be this thing. He wanted to do like a movie with forty thousand extras for all the, the 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 war scenes. Like he wanted to do the biggest, most epic shit. Ever. All I'm saying is Nicholson as as Napoleon is maybe the most perfect but unexpected casting I could ever think of. Yeah. So, but that, that tells you how long ago this was. This was with Nicholson when yeah. he was like a, you know, younger man. Not even just middle-aged. Like, he was straight up young at the time, yeah. probably, when, when this was first, like, poised. I mean, Napoleon was a young man. Like, you know, he didn't live yeah, yeah. that long. Despite, you know, the the in, incredible things they did, you know, good or bad, you know, it's, it's subjective, clearly, but incredible feats of, of, you know, what he did. Yeah, I wonder if... Uh... That's why Nicholson ended up being in The Shining. I wonder if, because presumably it was because he was already he was more middle aged by that point. I wonder if he was attached to Napoleon when Kubrick wanted to do it. You know, maybe a decade or two earlier, and then he ended up working with them for The Shining because he's like, oh hey, I wanted to work with Jack Nicholson. <laughs> you know, maybe maybe that was yeah the, maybe was a bit of a through line there. But anyway, so uh, he's been talking about this on and off for years. Uh, but he said at the Berlin Film Festival. Uh, that they're working with HBO on a large-scale production and the sources are saying that it's close to a, an order for a seven-part limited series. So, yeah, this could, this could be I'm 100% in. It's it's an area of history that I have quite already, you know, relatively interested in. You know, I, 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 I know very it. little about this period of history. We never, we never did this as like a block in school for me, so I never did really you, learned much about this. Did you ever watch any of the Sharp stuff? Nah. Oh, okay, because that's set in that Napoleonic era, but from uh, from the English side, obviously, but set around that. Um, no, fair enough. Um, yeah, no, it, it's a, it's an area I'm pretty interested in. I've read a few Napoleon biographies before. They tend to be bloody massive things because he has a very eventful life to fit things into, uh, which is why. If you were going to do this as a movie, it would have had to have been like a four-hour movie easily, which Kubrick probably would have just done a four-hour movie, let's be fair. Uh, I mean, he, he got close to that with Spartacus, I think. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> so, he's, so he's not it, against it, doing it. Exactly. Which, it's what it would need. But I think, honestly, uh, a limited series, you know, seven, maybe even slightly longer hours, because maybe the, maybe the you know some of the episodes are a little bit over an hour. So if you're looking in that seven to nine hour range, I surprise think that's me. probably a, an even better format for it. Yeah. It's worth mentioning that Spielberg's involvement does not mean that he's going to direct this. Let me make that clear. He is, you know, producing it, but it could be someone else that's handed off to to direct I it. I wouldn't be too disappointed if it is, because you know, this this year aside I've not seen it yet, but Feldman's obviously has got some audits. That's got a bit of buzz. Yeah. But other than that. It's not like he's had a hot streak recently, is it? In a, in quite a while, let's be fair. Honestly, I mean, I'm of the I mean, I'm maybe in a bit of a minority here, but I'm of the opinion that everything after 1993 is a bit of a not bad, but like it's kind of like the eh, like half a Spielberg's career. I think 1975 to 1993, that's Spielberg. After 1993, it's like ah, there's some okay I'm, stuff. I'm just gonna have a quick there. glance just to see if there's anything that I particularly disagree with post 93. <laughs> I don't know if I will, to be fair. Because, you know, I'm not super hot in Minority Report. Saving Private Ryan's got a good opening, but it's just kind of smaltzy after that. 
I thought I liked Cash Me If You Can more, but I rewatched it like two years ago and found out that I did not like it that much anymore. It hadn't aged well for right. me. I really like Cash Me If You Can. Bear in mind, last time I saw it. <laughs> I, yeah, I, so m- maybe I won't like it that much anymore either. Yeah, um, I, I watched that on stream, and like basically me and the the the, the audience watching with me all, about halfway through, we're all like, "Sure, this isn't as good as I remembered it being." Like, what? What? What's I I think I like Mo- Minority Report more than you do, but again, it's been a while, mm. so maybe maybe I don't. Yeah, but those yeah. are the only two I would really like. You know, post night three, those are still the only two I'd really stick up for. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, didn't really like Ready Player One oh, that much. No, no, I'm 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 completely lying. West Side Story, West Side Story. Um, I loved it. Okay, but even then, you have to admit, one movie for you in like twenty five years or whatever it's been, versus not, not exactly what you call a hot streak. Yeah, yeah, ver- versus seventy five to ninety three, where you've got Duel, Close Encounters, Jaws, uh, E.T., Raiders, the other two Indiana Jones, like Jurassic Park, Schindler's List. Like, yeah, you know, and I, I'm, I'm not a huge fan of Close Encounters. I I think that's personally I think that's that's very overrated. Uh, I'm not huge. I, I mean, I'm not in love with it, but it's, I think it's better than most of his newer stuff. Like you know, it's it's been probably lesser in that list that I just gave. But yeah, I, I think like out of the newest, I I probably again from memory, I probably prefer Minority Report and Catch Me If You Can over that. But I'd still like that would be one movie out of that section of you know eight, nine, ten hits, right? Whatever it is. Yeah. So still, yeah, yeah. De- definitely the the better part of his career, I would say. Anywho, so yeah, Napoleon HBO seven part limited series, possibly a big awards contender if they really pump the money into it, which they they might. Obviously, these days you can do a big crowd with CG rather than having forty thousand extras, which will be the the way to do it. But yeah, there's a middle ground. I think you 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 want a good amount of extras to look real, but you can definitely pad out to yeah, yeah. with CG and it still look fine because it's when you're seeing that many people it's wide shots of course of course uh all right next up graphic novel series the shrouded college is in the works for tv uh seth mcfarlane's fuzzy door and ucp have secured the rights to it uh, this is a peacock project uh so the shrouded college series is an interconnected set of seven adventure horror stories that will be published in comic and graphic novel formats over the next several years uh only one or two have came out so far i'll tell you about that in a minute uh, but uh, taken together, the series tells the stories of various characters enlisted uh, to become secret agents fighting a supernatural cold war on the side of the Shrouded College, a down-and-out organization on the edge of destruction. Uh, the first graphic novel in the series, Hell to Pay, was published by Image in November 2022. So this is just a sort of series that's just started in kind of a sort of long game. Uh, the second installment, The Bloody Dozens, coming out in late 2023. So it seems like it's going to be more or less a yearly sort of like original graphic novel series. Uh, but this book series comes from Charles Soule and Will Selney. Uh, oh, okay. So uh, they're executive producer alongside McFarlane. Uh, so, yeah. Um, I'm not a big Charles Soule fan as far as comic book writing goes, but uh, the premise sounds fine for a TV show. Though. I-, I like his stuff more than you. I haven't checked this out yet, um, but... Yeah, there has been this shift at Image in the last couple of years to let's try doing these just straight to graphic novel projects and kind of have interconnected worlds. To be fair, that's how a lot of their stuff sells well, is is the trades, the collected versions afterwards. The single issues don't do that well for most of their books. It does. They've shifted recently. So you've got the uh, the Brubaker and Phillips are doing the, the Reckless series um, that's kind of been going on for five or six books now. Um, you've got this, obviously. 
you've got uh, Lemire and Sorrentino doing their Bone Orchard mythos, which is a little bit different, where some of them are straight to graphic novel, some of them are single issues first, but they're all set in this kind of same shared universe. Uh, but yeah, some some of them are like just the graphic novels first. It's it's just they've been experimenting the last couple of years. Mm. Uh, so it's it's interesting because finally, when we see when we see these adapted from graphic novel, it, it's finally actually possible that it's true. Yeah, it's, like, it's not, not a comic book. Yeah, it's a graphic yeah. novel. Uh, a, a difference that most uh, synopses will not take into account, to be honest. Yeah, but, but this time, I, I, I'm inclined to believe them. All right, next up, we have a HBO Max series called Duster, which has been given an official series order and is also cast uh, Rachel Helson uh, and Josh Holloway in. This is coming from J.J. Abrams and Latoya Morgan's period... Uh, it's coming from J.J. Abrams and Latoya Morgan, sorry. Uh, so, uh, the project has been in the works for a while. It was first announced back in April of 2020, uh, although I don't really remember it, to be honest, from you know, reading this. But um, it's finally been given an order. It had a pilot, and that's what's led to this series order. Um, so, Helsinki stars Nina, the first black woman FBI agent who, in 1972, heads to the Southwest and recruits a gutsy getaway driver played by Holloway, the first in a bold effort to take down a growing crime syndicate. So it's called Duster. Okay, that kind of sounds a little bit generic. I get like, okay, it's uh, you know, it's got this this point to it, but actual premise sounds relatively generic. Yeah. Uh, next up, Madeley Television is going to do more book to series adaptations. Um, yeah, this is so basically, it's a series of books. Uh by Mike Grist. It doesn't seem to have a title for the, the series as a whole, uh, but it says including St. Justice, so I assume that's the first one or the most successful one out of the series. Uh, but So it's a series of action thriller books. It's a six-book series that follows ex-CIA operative Christopher Wren as he chases down the worst cult leader in history who is trying to destroy American democracy by dividing and pitting the US population against each other. Only Wren can stop the uh, anarchism when he discovers the leader of the cult is his father <laughs> who has escaped who he escaped from as a younger teenager Ren's internal battlefield leads him to finding redemption and atoning for the dark events of his own past sorry is that secret family twist that I've got a drink for like um... I think I think it's in there yeah and then that at the end the uh his own past, yeah. Yeah, it definitely adds up to at least one drink. It does. It does. Yeah. Uh. So yeah, there's no title for what the show is going to be. It doesn't even give me like a group title for the books. It just says the Matt Gress series of action thriller novels, including Saint Justice. So there you go. That's that. As Connor finds a a bottle to oh, swig. Just try to find something reasonably appropriate. Okay. Vertical Films is laying up a new horror show. Uh, it's called The Last Day of Jack Sparks, and it's based on Jason Arnup's genre-bending novel of the same name. Screenwriter Gabby Hall uh, is adapting the book. So, uh, UK horror director Rob Savage, who directed Host and Dashcam, is set to direct. Uh, I didn't see Dashcam, but I did see Host. That was the uh, Zoom horror movie. Oh, uh, yes, I remember that. It was that. made during the pandemic. 
Uh, the Last Days of Jack Sparks follows a pop culture journalist and supernatural skeptic who is making a documentary about the occult. No stranger to contra- controversy, Sparks laughs in the face of the devil by mocking an exorcism he witnesses, putting in motion a series of terrifying, tragic, and mysterious events. Okay, that's, again, a pretty generic description. But like, eh, okay, it gives us the character to start with, I suppose. There's a lot of horror movies with like a supernatural bent where it starts with a character who's skeptical, and then, of course, the thing is real. And so I've definitely seen that play out a lot, especially in movies. Maybe not so much TV, but in movies you see it all the time. We do, yeah. Um, but I still think there's a lot of room for horror on TV. Like, in the grand scheme of things, you know, in, in the grand scheme of all the TV, there's very little horror that's actually kind of made at a reasonable level. Mm-hmm. Uh, despite how, as a rule, cheap horror is to make, right? Uh, so I'm surprised that we've not seen so much of it, but yeah, maybe yeah. I'm always down to see a bit more. There's definitely been more examples in the last decade than like the history of TV. It's a relatively new genre yeah. in TV for whatever reason. Yeah, uh, so it's surprising to me how cheap horror is compared to some other stuff to make. So next up, AMC Studios is an early development for a show called Diligence, a drama from Sheldon Turner and Jennifer Klein's Vendetta Productions, along with AMC. Uh, themselves. Uh, written by Turner and Diligence, when a former investigative journalist begins working for a private intelligence firm called Diligence, he finds himself influencing the news rather than reporting it. Alongside his former Mossad agent partner, he delves headfirst into the seedy world of private intelligence, never quite sure if the work he's doing is in the name of good or evil. Ooh. That was a really yeah. generic description. That's been a lot of generic yeah. descriptions back to back. Um, yeah, they're not giving us much to go on here. Yeah, like the, they say private intelligence like three times, investigative, yeah. influencing. They're throwing a lot of big words in there, but it doesn't feel like you're saying much. Diligence a lot. Yeah, yeah. So it uh, stops sounding like a real word about halfway through that. <laughs> Who says diligence without the word do before it? Due diligence. Yeah. That's just what you say. Yeah. That's what, that's what it makes you want to think, but it never. It, I thought it was going to say that at one point during the description. Like, uh, he's mm. going to make sure he's doing his due diligence, but it, yeah, it doesn't even get to that. It's not even. It's not even generic enough. It's so generic, it doesn't even do the generic thing that it's supposed to do. <laughs> Next up, Apple Studios have greenlit an original drama, The Last Frontier, from John Bokenkamp from the Blacklist and Richard uh, Davidio from the Call, uh, with Jason Clark. Uh, set to star in it. So Justin Clark's an actor who uh, I like well enough because of Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, who's then been in nothing but trash pretty much since then. Uh, he was in Terminator Genesis. Hated it. He does not pick good projects. He was in Winchester. Hated it. He was in the Pet Cemetery remake. Hated it. So the poor guy could use a winner. So this is a 10-episode Apple TV Plus project. It follows US Marshal Frank Remnick, played by Clark, the lone marshal in charge of the quiet, rugged barons of Alaska, whose jurisdiction is turned, flipped turned upside down when a prison transport plane crashes in the remote wilderness, setting free dozens of violent inmates. Tasked with protecting the town he's vowed to keep safe, he begins to suspect the crash wasn't an accident, but rather the first step of a well-crafted plan with international political implications. 
Honestly, that last part made it less interesting. I was kind of into it when it was just oh, as a, a plane of like dodgy convicts descended upon this town. It kind of sounds like Freak of the Week. Like, oh, which convict have we got this episode? It sounded more to me like a Western, where it's just like, no, you've got this small town, there's one lawman, and he has to defend the town from all these bad people. Like, or hell, even a Batman plot. Oh, Arkham's, you know, everyone's broken out of Arkham. Batman's in Gotham. He's the only one who can stop this, them. You know? This is why I said it sounded like Freak of the Week. That was not a... Uh, you know, a a slight at it, but in in the vein of you know, those those genre shows, the superhero shows, or the, the ones that came before it, that are uh, that you sure, know, okay, don't okay. need to be brought up again. It, it's very much the you know the the one hero protecting against the the various threats, and there's 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 one different one each week to have on each, on every episode. It's Apple, though, maybe, so it's going to be. Maybe like... you'll get two of them team up every so often. I mean, it's Apple, so it'll be a ten episode tighter thing. It won't be you know twenty two episodes of. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll probably be shit because Jason Clark's in it. Not because he's bad, just because he picks bad projects. Yes. <laughs> yeah, or maybe his agent picks bad projects. I don't know. Yeah, he's but... a new agent. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, next up, um, A24 have won the rights to a book called The Snakehead by Patrick Radden Keefe. Uh, so this has been called a mix between The Godfather and Chinatown, apparently. The book that is. Yeah. Uh, okay. The Snakehead investigates a secret world run by a surprising criminal, a middle-aged woman from New York's Chinatown who manages a multi-million dollar business smuggling people and providing safe passage to America. The Snakehead is a crime story and an exploration of the uh, ironies of immigration in America. So that sounds like the description, but then there's another paragraph that says, The oh, book okay. tells the story of the charismatic middle-aged grandmother, Sister Ping, who runs her complex empire from a tiny noodle shop in New York's Chinatown. Keith recounts the decade-long FBI investigation that eventually brought her down. He follows an often incompetent and sometimes corrupt INS as it pursues desperate immigrants risking everything to come to America. And along the way, he paints a portrait of a generation of legal immigrants and the intricate underground economy that sustains and exploits them. Sounds a bit dry when you put it like that, but I can kind of see what it's going for. It does. I don't think it sounds bad. I think it could be quite good, but I also think it's probably not for me. I don't think I don't think it's like my sort of thing. But that doesn't mean it's like like a, in any way will actually be a bad thing. Yeah, that's entirely depends. I think on the uh, the talent making it. Yeah, it, it, it needs strong direction to pull it off. Yeah. Uh, next up, Universal Television is developing a TV adaptation of a novel called Stone Cold Fox by Rachel Collar Croft, uh, who will also write the series. Uh, Stone Cold Fox was published, uh, it just says published Tuesday, so it came out last Tuesday, congratulations, <laughs> um, by Berkeley and Penguin Random House. The novel is about an ambitious woman raised by a con artist's mother who wants to escape her dark past for good. As she aims to marry into a classic American dynasty for one last con, Unexpected opponents could threaten everything she's worked so hard to achieve. Hmm. Okay, right. I I can see the potential in it, but I can also see it being very generic, depending on how it's handled. Yeah, it's another one that comes down to like strong a strong character with a strong direction and like actually, you know. Because if we're going to do that thing where she's kind of grown attached to the family she's supposed to be conning, I could see them pulling yeah. that. I could see, 
it, it just kind of depends. Like, does this have a does it have a heart? Is it more cynical and more? I I definitely feel like I've seen this before. Yeah. All right. Uh, next up, Fox are developing a a show here, a, a reboot of an old show, even. Uh oh. So you know how we always joke that Fox are, uh, you know, buddy cop, you know. Because they are, yeah, with a twist. So if I said name a buddy cop show. What the? There's too many. Yeah, but if I said, like, think of like a classic, like one of the original ones. What what's one of the one of the things you'd think of first? How far back are we going? <laughs> How far back are we going? Like, give, give me a rough time period. Uh, that, that before before you were born. Oh, Jesus Christ. Uh, I don't know. I can't think of any off the top of my head. Starsky and Hutch. <laughs> oh, God, of course. Yeah, so I thought you would maybe guess that just because, you know, it's... I forgot it existed temporarily. The original cop show, basically. Or the original buddy yeah. cop show, I should say. Uh, so they're uh, developing this with a female twist. Um, so one of our drama, obviously, script to series model. Uh, it's a modern reimagining will revolve around two female detectives, Sasha Starsky and Nicole Hutchinson. The duo solve crimes in the offbeat town of Desert City, whilst... <laughs> I'm just laughing at Desert City. Uh, while staying true to their friendship, their awesomeness, and somehow also trying to unravel the mystery behind who sent their fathers to prison 15 years ago for a crime they didn't commit. Oh, how did that get so generic in the end? Oh. Oh, dear. Do I have to drink for that one? Well, it says solve crimes, and they also have to be true to their friendship and awesomeness. So I, I, that feels like personal yeah. and professional. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? I think that's fair. And if not, I think just the way it's, it pivoted into both of their fathers get sent to prison for crimes they didn't commit. Uh, I, I, I think that's them. worth it. I just them both. Yeah. Oh, dear. So, yeah. Uh, Sam Sclaver from Prodigal Son and Elizabeth Peterson from The Resident will serve as writers and showrunners on the show. So that's Starsky and Hutch. At Fox. Blake Buddy I, I Cop couldn't things. Think of a, I couldn't think of a more natural home for it. <laughs> Alright, next up. So, this is, like, not really a new show yet, but it, it, it belonged here because it's what it is. So, you're familiar with The, the Good Doctor? Yes. I mean, I was barely familiar with it, so you could have said no there, and I wouldn't That's have been surprised. The, is that the, the, the Ken Jeong one? No, I don't think so. Why mix them up? I don't know. This is an ABC show, but there's going to be a backdoor pilot uh, this season, uh, March thirteenth uh, specifically, uh, for a show called The Good Lawyer. So they're doing an episode in March that's going to uh, set this up. But the reason why I felt like it belonged here is because they've cast like the two leads for this show. They're going to be in this backdoor pilot. Uh, Felicity Huffman, fresh out of prison, <laughs> is going to be in it, as okay. well as uh, Kennedy McMahon from uh, Nancy Drew. They're going to be in this uh, the, the Good Lawyer show i looked it up it wasn't the ken jong one i don't know which one that is but i do know this one as well okay so yeah um so there's no description for the new show but there's a description for what these characters are in this episode that's coming up um so in the, good, <laughs> in the good lawyer episode uh dr sean murphy who i, I assume is like a lead character on the regular show uh seeks lead, legal yeah. 
representation to help him with a win a case and puts his faith in a promising young lawyer, Joni De Groot, played by McMahon, who has obsessive compulsive disorder. Uh, so yeah, don't have much to say. Yeah. but it's a new show. Technically, that's getting like a very heavy backdoor pilot. Yeah, I love I love how they're doing this thing now, where every cop show. Uh, medical show or lawyer show realized that we can do spin-offs of the other types in the same universe so now we have chicago pd chicago md chicago fire like we, yeah, we can do we, we have a chicago verse yeah chicago first we can have a good verse here you know we have an nci verse we have a csi verse we, we have all these verses yeah and all of them are amazing <laughs> well like billions that's not real that's the irony of it, is that there's billions of these things now. Yeah, yeah. But, but I believe these are real, unlike billions. Billions is real. Billions is not real. Bill- billions, millions, and trillions. No, all- someone posted their April Fool's joke early. <laughs> to quote Han Solo, it's true, all of it. <laughs> How dare you. All right, last up, NBC has commissioned writer's rooms for two projects. Uh, so they're doing like a split thing where they've ordered some pilots, uh, which have come up before, and for other shows, they're not doing pilots, they're just doing writer's rooms for potential straight-to-series orders. So they're doing kind of like two methods of okay. potential show pickups. So they've done two writer's rooms uh, for two shows. Uh, one is called Gross Point Garden Society, uh, which echoes Good Girls a bit, but one of the writers is from that. Uh, it follows four members of a suburban garden club, all from different walks of life, who get caught up in a murder and mischief as they struggle to make their conventional lives bloom. Sounds so boring. <laughs> and then the other one's called The Hunting Party, which revolves around a small team of investigators who are assembled to track down and capture the most dangerous killers our country has ever seen all of whom have just escaped from a top-secret prison that's not supposed to exist. Of course they have. <laughs> and let me guess, while they're doing that, they're, they're, they're dealing with their personal lives? Yeah? Yeah? It doesn't say that, but I've got a good no, feeling. But I, I, I suspect they might be. I've got a good feeling that they are. Um, yeah, I don't have a whole lot to say about those two. Uh, they exist. Well, maybe. Well, they may exist, yeah. They may not, they may not get picked up. <laughs> But they're generic enough that I, I could see NBC loving them. I could see them going, you know what? These are gold. If they do pick them up and they do exist, they're so generic, I won't remember that they were these ones that we spoke about today. Oh, not a chance. Not 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 a chance in hell. We're like, oh, we spoke about them at some point, probably, because we do, but there's no yeah, way we'll ever remember, oh, it was these ones. You'll remember when Billions comes back up, though. You'll know. Oh, I will, because I don't, I, until, it, until it airs and exists. Billions does exist. It's got seasons. No, no, no. Oh no, it, it's billions of fine. It's the, the the trillions, isn't it? Whatever it was, trillions and millions, and then yeah. also billions, London and billions. Yeah, yeah, it, it's the trillions and millions that I don't. I they're an extended <laughs> April Fool's joke. They're gonna get to April second. So by the way, we were having you on that whole time. Well, they're going to announce on April first that they've, they've picked up those, but they've also uh, commissioned two other shows. Uh, Kajillions. <laughs> Quids in, and then the really poor version called Pennies. Just Pennies. That's all they got. Anyway, that's the news. Uh, 
not a lot of exciting things. I mean, obviously something is killing the children is kind of cool. That's the one that's got me. Yeah, Shredded College has some potential, uh, I would say. Welcome to Derry just makes me roll my eyes. Uh, but, yeah. So there you go. That's that's uh, that's what's happening in the TV world. Uh, so just to remind you, uh, Connor's moving. He will not have internet uh, definitely next week, maybe even for two weeks, but certainly there'll be no episode of this next week. So you have been warned. Um, so please do uh, bear with us, and we'll be back. It really sucks that I'm not going to have internet, because... What am I do? Maybe you could reconnect with your girlfriend on an emotional level. I don't need to reconnect. That implies that there's there's no connection already. <laughs> I don't know. You sound pretty dead inside most of the time. <laughs> uh, that's different. That's because I'm talking to you. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. But uh, yes, so Leslie, we thought of any of the news items that popped up this week on the news. You can, of course, uh, tell us what you think of them in the comments. You can like, subscribe. All those things do help out a lot. Uh, so please do. And of course, you can support us financially by going over to patreon.com slash TV. Or if you want to do a one-off thing, you can do a super thanks on YouTube. But any and all uh, help is appreciated. So thank you very much for joining us. Hopefully you enjoyed the banter and the silly nonsense that we tend to uh, get up to on this show. But uh, that is that is us. That is the TV news. Thank you once again for watching or listening. We always appreciate it. Keep watching TV. Have you got any vanilla? <laughs>